This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Monday, December 12th. As the intrepid John Hicks just pointed out, 12-12. Hadn't occurred to me. 12-12 today. Thanks, bud. Yeah. I like that. Is that like the, uh, <laughs> it's like the champagne date every every month. We we look forward to it. You know, the 1st of January, the 2nd of February, the We got of champagne March. in here? You get to crush a bottle of champagne <laughs> every time the numbers line up. You look like you had a bit, I was following you on social media, your Instagram, et cetera. You've been pedal to the metal all through the weekend. Tis yeah. the season for holiday parties. You've been spinning records all weekend. We got lots of holiday parties and, and not to, you know, toot my own horn or or talk to uh, advertisers who aren't yet with us yet, but shout out to ATB Financial. I did their huge Christmas party. Yeah, what the hell are you doing, John? Uh, (laughs) In the lead of the show, just name a bunch of people that don't pay to be mentioned on the show. That's bold. Okay, a bunch of engineering firms. Yeah. uh, Just big, big parties. And people are so excited to finally mingle with their coworkers again in these settings, obviously. So true. Since COVID. So uh, they've been... I'll use the word rager. I don't think I have yet on the show, yeah. but they've been ragers. Yeah, and and then and then there's kind of the flip side of people that are like still not heading out, still not so- yeah. socializing to that degree. And I've I've we were out uh, doing a number of different things this weekend, and I it seems to be an uptick on people that are wearing masks as well. And and I don't know if if maybe that's probably something that you're seeing in your neck of the woods, real talkers. But let us know and where your head's at in all of this. To talk at RyanJesperson.com. You and I are going to be uh, next Friday together working the Apex Automation Christmas Party, which I'm looking forward to. That's going to be a fun one. Did you pay any attention to what was going on at Commonwealth Stadium over the weekend? Uh, no. This is oh, so the, cool. the Big that, Air, actually. The, the Big yeah, Air thing. Yeah. This, so this FIS Big Air World Cup event, you, you can check out, uh, if you follow me on Instagram, or if you don't, check it out, instagram.com slash Ryan Jesperson. I partnered with... Uh, the team at Explore Edmonton and put together a reel for them. I'm showing you on my screen right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can check this out. So, uh, John, I finally put together a reel, uh, which was a big deal for me. And, you know, Carrie, my wife, had to teach me how to do it. But, of course, there was no shortage of footage as the world's best big air snowboarders, big air competitors were were launching off this enormous this ramp. Crazy. I mean, this took, they, they were talking about the scaffolding and the efforts that it took for the the ground screw, if you want to call them that, mm. to put this thing together. And then just the, uh, the amount of snow that they were hauling up there and they were using, I mean, there were all sorts of mm-hmm. logistical challenges that they had. But, but uh, these uh, athletes, uh, the men and women there competing in this FIS World Cup big air event, remarkable modern, stuff modern day evil Knievels, man like oh, that yeah. is you know one wrong turn and, and it's a broken leg a clavicle jeez yeah or worse yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we took our little guy took our little guy wyatt there he's seven he loves snowboarding Must he takes lessons it. in the whole nine yards and i said uh, i said hey kiddo you think maybe someday you might do something like this he, <laughs> he just goes not a chance <laughs> he goes not a chance uh-uh so there's no way he's going to be getting to that. Uh, Charles Adler is going to join us in just a second. And, of course, uh, we're going to be talking. We, we mentioned this late last week, including on our Friday roundtable, our Real Talk roundtable, the group chat roundtable. That was a fun one. Really fun. The first one, I don't know how fun it was for you at the beginning. because well, there were, yeah. the, We had to do some shuffling. It's, it's always amazing to watch you work. It was our first ever 
in-person roundtable, like in the history of the show. Three people, too. So, yeah, so four people, including me, around this mm-hmm. urban timber table, and that meant for you a lot of uh, adjustments to make. We were figuring out our camera angles. Uh, it's we're all still in kinda, the day's work. Kind of settling in here, <laughs> but you did a bang-up job, and so did our panelists, uh, Jenny Adams, Harmon Kendall, and Jarrett Campbell, talking about gun control, Bill C-21. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Harmon's trip to Qatar. He was just back. He was at the World Cup. Um, some amazing results in those games over the weekend, of course, too. And uh, uh, we mentioned that in the context of C-21, I don't know if you feel this way, Real Talkers, but it, it seems like the conversation is boiling down to, and this is not a good thing, uh, it seems to be boiling down to like rural versus urban, mm-hmm. right? Or, or, or hunters versus downtown apartment dwellers. Mm-hmm. And I think that talk about gun control, gun laws, gun legislation in Canada needs to be about more than that. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we were taking a look at a, f- at a few different points that people are making and a few different storylines. One of them is is a reported uptick in the United States of women purchasing firearms, um, which I don't think is necessarily 100% positive. No, because you- I know the numbers show men overwhelmingly buy and purchase more guns than women. Right? Yeah, well, and if you and if you talk to the experts about why they think that's happening, mm-hmm. uh, they think it's happening because fewer women are feeling safe or more women are feeling unsafe. So it's not necessarily that 100% of the purchases <laughs> yeah. are because of hobby shooting is up. Mm-hmm. But hobby shooting, recreational shooting, target shooting, clay shooting, uh, you know, the trap shooting, they call it, is a thing. And it's a huge sport. And it's a popular sport. And quite frankly, it looks like a lot of fun uh, using shotguns to blow these clay pigeons out of the air. looks pretty sweet. Well, nobody does it better in Canada. Uh, you you could argue that nobody's done it better on planet Earth mm-hmm. than Dr. Susan Natris, who's going to join us in about a half hour's time. She's a seven-time world champion. Wow. Yeah, winner of the uh, the Lou Marsh Award, which, by the way, I didn't know that they're looking at renaming the Lou Marsh Award. You learn something new every day. Uh, that's a whole separate discussion. Uh, but, but Susan Natris uh, was named Canada's Athlete of the Year, the year that she won that, an officer of the Order of Canada. She's a huge mm-hmm. deal. Uh, in shooting, six-time Olympian. So we thought we'd pick her brain on 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 so-called gun culture. I reached out to her, and I loved what she said. We'll bring it up when we welcome her to the show. I said, we wanted to talk to you about so-called gun culture in Canada. And she replied, I didn't know that there was a gun culture in Canada. <laughs> and so I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. And of course, we'll welcome the comments and the feedback and the observations from Real Talkers that are tuning into this live stream, whether that's, of course, on the Mixler live streaming audio app that's presented by our friends at California Closets or, of course, live streaming us on YouTube as well. Charles Adler coming up in just a second. I wanted to read this email before we go any further. This from MJ. Uh, MJ sent us this email just a couple of days ago to talk at RyanJesperson.com. This is absolutely launching us into this week of shows. Says, says, thank you for getting real and talking about issues we desperately need to know more about. You, you don't know what you don't know until you know it and now that we know what we know we cannot unknow it we must adjust accordingly and continually mj says with a shortage of mental health workers it's uh, opportunities and assets like real talk that help us separate the fear and ignorance of issues from individuals who just behave ignorantly says i feel further enlightened and more informed that from mj you have no idea the power of that email what that did for us that filled our bucket mj and we appreciate it Uh, charles adler in just a moment wanted to remind you that the holiday sale continues our friends at mcbain camera you can make them your destination for this holiday season unique gift ideas they've got them covered like what about a set of 
ProStaff P7 10 by 42 binoculars from Nikon. The Nikon ProStaff P7 gets you up close and personal with birds and wildlife, even as the fleeting winter daylight fades. You can save $60 on this powerfully portable binocular set, just $209.99 for the holidays. You can also save up to $600 on a huge selection of Nikon cameras and lenses right now at McBain. You can visit them in-store, six locations, or chat with a team member online at McBainCamera.com. McBain, create to inspire. You know, when I think of binoculars, I think of my dad. Back in the day, yeah. uh, the, where we lived, where I was growing up, we used to have the odd blue heron in the ah. name. It would touch down and kind of look. I don't know if it was the same one every time, but we let ourselves to yeah. believe that. My dad would have the binoculars out and get these up-close and personal views of those remarkable yeah. birds. Man, priceless experiences. Great for watching big air competitions, too. Good point. I always see the people at football <laughs> games. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you know, I was going to say up in the cheap seats, there's no such thing as cheap seats when you're watching hockey games. Yeah. Football, you can get affordable. Binoculars would be perfect. Hey, no matter what you're celebrating, uh, Hanukkah's coming up in a week. Christmas coming up in a couple of weeks. There's birthdays, anniversaries, a DQ cake from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, always uh, guaranteed to be a big hit. You can enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake, totally customized from the locations in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road. Make sure you follow them on Instagram, on Twitter to get the latest details. You can check out dqcakes.com. Use the drop-down menu to choose your location in Northwest Edmonton, or a DQ in Sherwood Park. Hey, our friends at Park Power wanted to give you a heads up. They reached out to us with an email just a, a couple of days ago. Chris, who leads the team over there, said he said you got to remind real talkers. Obviously, with winter here and the, the cold and the dark days, it means that energy use, especially in the homes of Albertans, is on the rise. So if you're on the regulated rate or, or a variable rate for electricity, you're probably paying more than you have to right now. Uh, just a quick heads up. He says Park Power's current fixed electricity rate plans are almost half the cost, half of the regulated rate option. Uh, so if you switch over, you don't have to fear about being locked into a contract, especially when you're choosing that fixed rate plan. Customers can switch rates or cancel anytime for free, no penalty. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to. Once you're a customer of Park Power, you're going to love it, I guarantee. Parkpower.ca is where you enter the promo code. Uh, 2022-RealTalk to save $70 off your first bill at Park Power. And John and I mentioned we're going to be hanging out celebrating the season with the amazing team at Apex Automation coming up in just about a week from now. Their whole team environment dictates the culture of how they roll at Apex Automation. It's probably why they've tripled the size of their team at a time where so many other firms are dialing it back. It's because more and more people are seeing the value in giving people back their time. Uh, through automation, of course, that works for clients, but but Apex takes that position, almost a mantra of sorts, with their team members too. It's why they invest in things like game rooms in their offices, ping pong, pool tables, professional development opportunities for their team, including their professional engineers, individual offices when team members request instead of shared or open workspace, and of course, that great Christmas party that everybody buzzes about. You know, they're always hiring at Apex Automation. If you're feeling stagnant, locked in, uninspired, underappreciated at your current engineering or automation job, check out apexautomation.ca today. 
Well, I see our friend uh, Charles Adler. You know, we send each other a lot of messages through the week. Uh, number one, just because we're pals. And, and number two, because we're always looking for the most engaging and attention-grabbing and important content to tackle when he makes his regular Monday appearance here on the show. And, and Charles, uh, as I noted to you just a few moments ago, uh, you sent me a message at 11 p.m. Uh, they're not dinging my phone, by the way, and it's a, it's a mutual uh, thing that happens here. 1 a.m., 3.15 a.m., 5.45 a.m., I said, I think I might have found the one person in Canada who sleeps less than I do. Well, I did sleep uh, four hours and 11 minutes last night. Uh, but uh, I just want to put this up here just to remind you that you're really not commercial enough, okay, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. You, you, don't, you just don't hustle enough. You almost never talk about these real talk mugs and some of the other great merchandise, and I just want you to you know, step up the game. And speaking of uh, commercials, can you explain to me, and if I'm wrong about this, please uh, disabuse me of my uh, my fallacious notion. But I just have the impression you don't have a tailor or you know, either a, a custom tailor or a high-end uh, place where people can get wardrobes like the kind you wear. I'm just, I'm, am I wrong about this? <laughs> well, you've put me in an interesting position, Charles, because uh, I did have a partner uh, that has done remarkable business for many decades in the city of Edmonton and the province of Alberta, for that matter. Uh, we're not currently doing business together, but these relationships stand the test of time and the commerce in the relationships ebb and flow. So I'm wearing a Lardini suit today, and this is perfectly cut by the amazing team at Henry Singer, uh, who just announced, as a matter of fact, they're going to be opening a new flagship location in Edmonton's Stantec Tower, which is right outside Rogers Place Arena. Uh, they're expecting that to open in about a year. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Well, someday if I'm a commercial success, I'd like to visit with Mr. Singer. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. <laughs> well, hey, well, let me, I mean, are you, are, are you, were you talking? I just wanted to make sure because I was just doing some digging here at ryanjesperson.com and then I clicked on the merch link, of course, because it's, it's so convenient here to just click on the merch link. And then were, were you talking, you must've been talking about the Crescent mug, Charles, that you're holding, yes. which is, which is yeah. that high quality 12 ounce ceramic mug. It's heavy, yeah. it's durable, and it helps you keep it real. Uh, we recommend you hand wash depending on your dishwasher but i'll tell you what charles uh this thing arrives for for the bargain price of 34 dollars, just over our cost and of course shipping is always free when you pick up your merch stocking stuffers at ryanjesperson.com slash merch how is that i, I don't even hand wash my hands with my hands uh, it's a you know dishwasher all the time <laughs> yeah okay. for me so i i've had it in there uh like I, you know and it's standing the test of time and you're is certainly standing the test of time. But I mentioned all this stuff about you know what what was once known as haberdashery and wardrobes and, and apparel and all those fancy schmancy words, because I am the son of a tailor, and that's where I learned my stuff. I went to Adler's Tailor Shop University, and I'm proud of it. You know, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, for, for a long time, I was, um, you know, buying suits off the rack, and uh, when you start to, to invest a little bit more, and it is an investment for sure, when you start to invest a little bit more and you start wearing suits that are perfectly cut for you, you'll never go back. Uh, there's something about it. There's something about the way that you walk down uh, the street. There's something about the way you sit in a meeting. There's something about the way you carry yourself when you're wearing something that's perfectly cut for you. Well, I'm uh, highly attracted to the name uh, Singer. 
uh, Henry Singer, your, your tailor. One of the reasons uh, for that is because, of course, the, the Singer sewing machine. Mm. And I uh, I guess, uh, I don't know if people want to know this because some people would call it child labor. But uh, as a seven-year-old, <laughs> that's when I, I first started, um, you know, slaving over a, a, a Singer sewing machine. And that, of course, uh, helped the family. I, I mentioned the child labor thing because I... I, at, you know, later on when I graduated from Adler's Taylor Shop University and went to McGill University, the conversation that came up with one of my professors and he asked me, you know, when do I think that I'll be starting to, to work? Something about employment came up and I said, Haas, I've been working since I was seven years old. You know, I was, uh, you know, fixing clothes, you know, on a sewing machine and throwing coal into the boiler and doing all the other chores, picking up, delivering the first on a bicycle. Later on a car, I probably didn't have a license at the time, probably. But I was, you know, I was just working for my dad, and uh, he he got all self righteous and sanctimonious and and said that uh, my father was uh, exploiting child labor. Uh. And I won't uh, I won't tell you about the rest of it, but I took care of business. Well, we this I mean this is actually a fascinating conversation. I can't say that it's come up recently. Uh, but you'll remember back in the in, in the Rachel Notley era of government in Alberta, they, they had a, a bill six. It was like a farm safety bill. I can't remember the actual yeah. name of it. Um, and it was it was extremely controversial. It uh, on one hand, it probably shouldn't have been had there been better communication. Um, you know, the, and, and I think that at that time, Notley acknowledged it with the benefit of hindsight that uh, it had been spun by opposition critics then the conservatives uh, that, that the government wasn't consulting uh, farmers, that it wasn't consulting the rural folks that would be most impacted by this. The government, for, for, for its part, saying, well, you know, we're trying to ensure that if farm workers, you know, you know, fall into a manure spreader and lose a limb, that they're covered. Like we're trying to, you know, ensure that people are working safe on family farms, the communication uh, errors there were very evident but it started i think it started a conversation in the urban areas uh almost in a way that there was like an epiphany for people that didn't realize how much work or how much contribution happens on farms from kids and uh it's it's pretty regular you know on a farm for for a a 10 year old to to drive the truck out to the swather to like drop off sandwiches or it's pretty it's a pretty normal thing for a nine-year-old to move the tractor from the dairy barn over to there you know what i'm saying and uh and and anyway though times do change and obviously we have laws for a reason and safety regulations and we learn over time the fact of the matter is there are still in family businesses in cities and rural areas kids that are working for their parents because that's the way that the family operates well, despite uh, you know people calling me uh, super woke and and uh, the socialist and all the kind of nonsense, I'm, I'm a family business, a conservative. That's what I've been all my life. I mean, I realize that today's conservative movement is on a you know a planet that I can't find with a Hubble telescope. Mm. That's their problem. You know, I am who I am. Was it was it Popeye who used to say that? Popeye yeah, some, some, something. I am like what that. I am. Yeah, something I'm, like I'm, that. I'm having to brush up on my Popeye because my <laughs> my my little guys become fascinated. Well, I tried to sneak it in because we're trying to get them to start eating greens like spinach, and I said, right. "You know about Popeye?" He was like, "Who's Popeye?" But anyway, you know, I just obviously I have a a connection to family business because that's where I come from, and so I, uh, I you know, as, as you say about whether it's a nine or ten year old driving the the tractor, the truck, the combine, whatever it is. I don't have any problem uh, with that, and I'm not into. Uh, but I, I realize I understand that some of this is about insurance. Some of this is about a lot of things, and many of these uh, so-called family farms aren't really, really family farms anymore. Yes, there's a family 
but obviously they, they hire a number of uh, workers, uh, often uh, migrant workers. We don't want them to be exploited. Anyway, I don't want to download a whole bunch of stuff on that. I just want to say that if you're on it, whether it's any kind of family business, whether it's a family business I worked in, just my dad and me, and a bunch of businesses just like that. If someone had come in to tell my father that there was something wrong with the idea of me helping out with the boiler or the press or the sewing machine, my father would have, you know, asked himself, you know, whether or not he's he's come to a free country. Huh. There it is. Now you're you're hearing me talking like a like a convoy guy, but you know that that's how he would have felt about it. And he certainly was not an ultra conservative. He was just a, I guess, a just like me, a traditional person. We're running a family business. No, there's nothing dangerous about uh, what my, my son is doing. And, and what's dangerous is telling families that they, they can't be families. Yeah, sure. Uh, did, what did your dad call you? Were you were you Charlie, Charles, Chuck? <laughs> uh, he, he called me by my Hungarian name. Oh. And uh, my Hungarian name is Sonny, which, Sonny. Is short for, which is short for Sándor, which is, um, which is Hungarian for Alexander. So wow. that's what he called me. I'm imagining little Shonye uh, shoveling coal into the boiler. That is, uh, <laughs> that's some old school stuff, man. That's I, I enjoy doing that. Now, I, I don't want to get into it. I don't, I don't want to, you know, be pro coal or anything like that. Like <laughs> oh, jeez, I mean, Chuck, speak freely. Just, you know, just, whatever. People used to real, burn street real, lanterns talk, with, right? so with, that's with whale honesty. fat. Yeah, whale coal, blubbers. Coal so. was very important to, to our lives because it was very important for the boiler uh, to create steam for the steam press. And yeah. the steam press was one of the most valuable things we had. And there was nothing like, you know, someone would come in and they'd want to have their, their pants pressed quickly. My father would, you know, throw me the, the pants or the suit or whatever. And I'd, I'd get out the big, uh, either, either the steam iron or the steam press. But um, I I had fun doing that. I felt uh, productive. I felt like I was contributing. So I'm not making apologies for it. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it's unfortunate that sometimes, you know, I mean, if, if people are attacking families for having their families in the business, but I, I it's you know, if we, we got into it for another moment, I mean, there are a bunch of small businesses. I don't care what, what city uh, community uh, you're talking about where, where kids are obviously involved in the business. And I, I don't see what uh, Pierre Polyev would call the gatekeepers. I don't see gatekeepers walking into uh, bakeries and restaurants and, you know, telling uh, telling the families, most of whom are immigrant families, that they can't have their kids working there. And if, if they did start to do that, um, I, I really have a problem. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think that uh, you, you can't be pro-family business and start cracking down on stuff like that, performative measures, you might call them. I wanted to ask, we always we use this Monday as an opportunity. Sometimes we'll take the top story, uh, yeah. national or provincial, what have you, and, and hit it head on. And sometimes you and I will will muse and, and chew, you know, chew the fat and wax poetic. I, I, was, I was curious what prompted this. Uh, you tweeted this about 6 o'clock this morning, just a couple of hours ago. You see, I, I keep waiting for the trend to pass. Uh, at the moment, still blown away that many people I thought I knew well pre-COVID have become crackpots. You say, I know I'm not alone. At one time, I knew very few people who joined cults and became brainwashed. Now it almost feels like an epidemic. What prompted this? Was this your... I, I saw you and you and uh, Theo Flurry. It, it seems like there's kind of this thing happening. Well, there, again. I mean, there's a classic example. I, I used to think of Theo as, as a best friend, and he's gone crackpot on me. I mean, the only thing, I, you know, I, I, I giggle because uh, he calls me for whatever reason, he's decided to call me Boxcar Willie. Uh, someone, someone I interviewed because you know one of the many things I did in my life was that I was a country DJ. In fact, I was doing three different jobs back then. So uh, when hey. I was a country DJ, I had to use a different name. Yeah, Johnny so knows used, what's up. And Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson was my my hero. Not Boxcar Willie. I liked Boxcar Willie. 
a great character, but Willie Nelson was my, my hero at the time, but I couldn't call myself Willie Nelson, obviously. So I called myself Bill Nelson. It's 3.30 at CFGM in Toronto, right? And uh, I'm, I'm Bill Nelson, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And I always used to say, rather, instead of rather, and it was a big joke, and we, we just had a, a great time every every Sunday afternoon spinning country tunes. But anyway, I, I like box star Williams, so when Theo Fleury, for some reason, decides to, I guess, he, I don't know if he's trying to disparage me, whatever, um, you know, give me nicknames, I mean, Donald Trump and all, all the people on, on sort of on that planet give everybody a, a nickname that's supposed to, you know, be a put down. I don't see it as a put down. I love Boxcar Willie. And uh, yes, I'm scrapping a little bit with uh, with Theo because uh, Theo believes that uh, COVID is a hoax. And uh, Theo on on uh, Twitter uh, decided uh, to try to accuse uh, the people who were let go from AHS, accused them of, of crimes. He said they, they're lucky they were just let go. They should be prosecuted. And I, I simply said on, on Twitter that, you know, when, when you don't have any evidence and you're accusing people of crimes, there's a, that, that, that is a crime. That's, that's defamation. Now, it's not often very, very, you know, it's not often prosecuted. And I said later that, you know, I don't think Theo Fleury would ever be prosecuted because it's not in the public interest to make Theo Fleury a martyr. But putting that aside, I mean, if you want to accuse somebody of a crime without evidence, that is a crime. And that's something people, you know, I think, I think. It might be instructive to Canadians, but it's not just Theo. It's it's a number of people, and to, to some extent, it's the Danielle Smith thing. I don't want to you know get into all of it, but I'm I just I was just so damn disappointed because she is one of the people I saw as a rising star, a rock star. When I worked with her Global Sunday, hell, I, when I when I exited the show, I recommended that she take over. I mean, I, I definitely would not have made that recommendation. I wouldn't have had her on the show in the first place if I thought she was you know loony. And she wasn't, you know, she was just the mainstream conservative, which is exactly where I was. I had a great comfort level with her. But every day, I mean, my, you know, I, and I thought this past weekend, you know, the last straw for me, the last straw for me sure. was when she said that, you know, the Sovereignty Act, uh, had it existed and had they had their act together, uh, could have been used uh, to stop uh, Justin Trudeau from imposing paper straws on Albertans, imposing paper straws, and the, the kids can't be drinking out of the uh, the root beer flows uh, floats with the with the paper straws. I mean, how ridiculous! <laughs> but here's that? here's the thing, though, and and this is this was on her, uh, her 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 radio show this weekend. She started talking about this in in the context of of, of essentially. Uh, I'm skipping a few steps here, but how the Sovereignty Act could be applied yeah. and uh, and basically saying like nobody asked the provinces whether or not they wanted to implement this. The feds just came in. Nobody asked the provinces if they could have found a unique uh, or innovative way to recycle. But here's the thing, Charles, uh, is that that's the type of example. It's not a metaphor. That's a that's a real example that would actually resonate with people like she said it on the weekend. And then now everybody's talking about it. And and I think that it's ridiculous to suggest that the government's first priority, Bill 1, should have been to address uh, or to introduce legislation that could have addressed outlawing plastic straws. And that's certainly not what they ran the campaign on. That's certainly not what she put in front of people. But the average citizen wants to hear something. You know, the radio coaches, content coaches, they, they, call, they call it the dog shit on the sidewalk. Right. You, you want to talk about things on the radio that everybody can relate to. You know, if, if it was a children's show, we would say 
gum on the sidewalk, something you everyone stepped on and it stuck to their shoe. We can all relate to it. And people are frustrated with paper straws. And so there you have it. And it resonates and you start to build support. The critics will always say it's ridiculous. And the supporters will say, there you go. Some paper straws, because it's amazing what you can do with with paper. I mean, there's this thing called cardboard, but there is there are a number of paper straws that are perfectly adequate. They're being used all over the world. They haven't used for a long time. I think, frankly, a, a lot of places are buying low quality, shitty paper straws, and that's the deal. I mean, I was drinking. That was, yeah, I, there's nothing I wouldn't suck through a straw when I was growing up, and I sucked it all through paper straws. We didn't have plastic straws. The other thing about plastic is you can use recyclable plastic. I mean, I could go on and on about this, but the idea that you need something that's, you know, borderline assaulting and maybe assaulting the Constitution to deal with the straw thing. I mean, that's a, that's a straw man argument. I just I, I, I understand what you're saying about the dog shit on the sidewalk and it creates a lot of talk and all of that. But the idea that you need to, you know, get into a fight with the federal government uh, over over straws, I think is absurd. Uh, we're going to talk to one of Canada's greatest all-time athletes in just a moment. So, so we're on the clock, but I did want to ask you about this, Chuck, because I saw that uh, by way of your Twitter account, you shared a, a piece, an opinion piece by Ezra Klein that ran in the New York Times just yesterday, the great delusion behind Twitter. Uh, and, and you shared a link, by the way, that allows even non-subscribers of the Times to check it out. They can follow you on Twitter at Charles Adler. But I wanted to talk to you about that just quickly in the context of what we saw from from. Elon Musk, uh, obviously synonymous with Twitter these days. Over the weekend, uh, a tweet yesterday, and and I just kind of shake my head uh, perpetually in a way. Elon Musk tweeting, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci prepares to wrap up his his tenure. And I, I just, I thought, number one, to, 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 to use a platform like Musk has, arguably, I mean, I mean, you could even argue his platform is bigger than the president of the United States. I mean, he may have the it biggest. Is. Yeah, he's got the it biggest is. platform in the world, probably. Yeah, he's got he's got he's got the biggest bullhorn on the planet, and later on, he doubled and tripled down on it. He accused right. Fauci of killing killing millions of people. Well, and here's now, the thing: is like it's one thing to call for like Anthony Fauci to be prosecuted yeah. and to introduce all the the, the sort of everything that comes with that and the and the vaccine yeah. and, and all that, but then also to drag in pronouns into the mix, like it's just like an. Well, he's dragging in pronouns because that's something that, uh, once again, that, that I was t- talking about the conservative movement on that, that planet that I can't find with the Hubble telescope. Uh, those guys are, are into the homophobia and the transphobia and this whole business of, uh, anyway, I, that, that's, what he's, that's what he's talking about. You know, he's talking about the, the pronouns and some people, you know, I, 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 I just, I don't want to give the dog his day. I just want to say that that group of conservatives, which unfortunately is getting larger in America, they're called the, the MAGA crowd. And of course, we've got the same wannabes over here. They love the idea of attacking uh, people who are trans people, you know, just LGBT, LGBTQ people, period. They love attacking them. And that's what Elon Musk is uh, is playing to over there. Yeah. Charles oh. Adler, every Monday, uh, both of us still on Twitter for now. Uh, you can find him there almost 24 hours a day, just like me. It's always great to see your face, my man. And thanks for the plug on the coffee mugs. Great to see you and great to see you in Mr. Singer's threads. Mr. Singer, <laughs> yeah. you need to become a courageous client 
of Real Talk. Yeah, I think you're right. I will be sending them that link to this. That's Charles Adler every Monday right oh, here on man. the show. I see in our live chat, Shane says, Ryan's still playing apologetic for Danielle Smith, I see. Mm. I, I feel I hope I don't have to like spell this out, but when I'm you don't. when I'm analyzing or evaluating someone's political or communication strategy, I'm not endorsing it. No. I'm not apologizing for it. I know that maybe some people sort of need things like really spelled out for them when they listen to talk shows. I'm explaining why she may invoke that because it resonates with people. And I probably won't spell it out every time, but uh, when I see people that, that sort of don't understand the role that a talk show host plays, asking questions, getting people in, getting people on the record, I want to make sure you understand what you're signing up for when you watch or listen to a show like this. We, we take things we see around us and we analyze them and we debate them and we talk about them. That's the whole point. Mm. That's the entire mandate of a show like this. I mean, we could just agree and you could hear the same just, chatter yeah, every we day. Could just, or... We could just do what the, what the news does. <laughs> and just like read the headlines and in today's news here's what they did we want to know the why right we say we've we've been saying uh for years quite frankly on talk shows i've hosted like knowing the headlines isn't enough you've got to talk about it Ooh, and that's what we do uh, by the way i saw that the whole paper straw thing like lit i was a just fire gonna in the say live chat. yeah and i'm i, I I knew you were going to bring it up with me because I'm like, you know, my, me and my wife, the big environmental people. Whatever. Well, no, you're just good people. You're just responsible. But the straw thing is so hard. Like paper straw has been around since the 1800s. Before they were plastic, they were paper. Right. Um, paper straws. Yeah, I try and use them as much as I can. And it, it, I like uh, I like you go to restaurants now. Sometimes they ask, would you like a straw or not? I like that. Um Paper straws, if you go in the, the realm of plastic, they're way down at the bottom for causing environmental impacts. I think it's like 7% of all the plastics uh, that affect the environment. The straws? Yeah. So the first one, obviously, food waste, like food containers, et cetera, candy bar wrappers, all that stuff. Second, bottle caps. Bottle caps are a huge one. Uh, but I was reading Katie Ingram, actually. I saw a tweet from her yesterday, and it made me think is that uh, disabled people really need plastic straws because they're bendable and it's easier for them to drink. So paper straws are a big no-go for them. So that made me reconsider, like, you know, when we go to think about these things, who they impact and stuff like that, especially since we had brad on the other week brad barco uh, yeah, yeah for so, uh, international day for persons with yeah. disabilities that was a great interview yeah. by the way last week and straws just such uh it's there's no right answer they're small they can stay in the ocean for like two three years they get in everything well, it's not only that it's the plastic breaks down and then yeah. you get these nanoplastics mm -hmm. right yeah and that's it's destroying the oceans but at the same time they're at the bottom of the totem i don't want to say that they're at the bottom of the list for things that we need to get rid of in plastics we, we need to I was seeing uh, some other tweets this weekend about people who say we need to leash lids like we need to make drinkable water bottles and et cetera, like Gatorade. So the lid stays on. Yeah, like it pops up, but it's attached yeah. because bottle caps are like the worst. They're like second to huh. food waste and food waste is like we can't really get rid of that. Like candy bars, chip bags, food containers. They make everything food waste less. They make everything easily accessible. There's no way we're going to 
really break that down huh and and get rid of that as much as we can but a friend we of mine a, whole show a, a friend this. of mine we were talking about the the bottom of the totem pole thing he's indigenous and and, and how people are you know are sort of being encouraged to maybe like i'm lose, just trying to be that, better lose that other, no but better, listen you here's know? you know what the point he said he said to me he said if more people learned about totem poles they'd understand that the bottom of the totem pole is where the most power resides mm-hmm. so that's kind of an interesting one so yeah. the phrase has been off forever remember the uh the um uh some of some of the um the entrepreneurs and the innovators and the designers that when the the paper versus plastic straw debate really kind of kicked up five years ago or so and some jurisdictions in the U.S. started outlawing, outlawing plastic straws and the like. People were coming up with like the, the the custom, like the rose gold or the stainless steel reusable straw mm-hmm. that people would like bring themselves to so restaurants. We, we did that as well. You we, had your own? Yeah, we did the bendable ones that you put into like a container and it goes on your keychain. It's very small and then you yeah. take it home and clean it. And I see someone here saying that uh, disabled people can use metal straws but then like do they carry them around everywhere with them i'm talking about when when you know someone with a disability goes to a restaurant and they order a drink and they it's hard for them to drink it they're going to need that plastic bendable yeah. straw right and yeah. katie ingram we should we should put it up later in the show but she had a whole thread detailing it this weekend and it really made me think yeah um you can let us know what you think about this talk at ryanjesperson.com see it worked right the plastic straw example, it worked. It's got people talking about it. Uh, before we get to Susan Natras, I wanted to let you know I'm aware of allegations uh, that were made over the weekend following a meeting of the Athabasca University uh, Board of Governors, where a member of the Students' Union claims the chairman of Friesen Brothers, uh, a member of that board, made a racist statement in the context of international students. Uh, I take these allegations very seriously. Real Talk and our parent company, Relay, have zero tolerance for racism of any kind. Uh, the transcript of that board meeting has not yet been made public, but I did speak with Mike Lovson personally on Saturday uh, to clarify exactly what was said. And on Sunday, he released this statement, quote, I understand that a member of the AU student community who attended a public meeting of the Athabasca University Board of Governors, of which I am a board member, claimed in a social media post that I made a racist comment during that meeting. Uh, the allegation is false. The accusation runs counter to who I hold myself to be as a citizen of this community. I strongly denounce all forms of racism in all my matters, whether it be personal business or through my community contributions with respect to all signed Mike Loveson. Uh, Now, I understand that Athabasca University intends to release a statement sometime today, and we will continue to monitor this situation closely. Our friends at Local Environmental Services want to encourage you to keep it local. If you're in an Alberta or Saskatchewan community, in particular Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina, and area... Uh, Looking for garbage and recycling management, landfill services, water hauling, vacuum trucks, fencing, portable toilets, you name it, you get more when you keep it local. Some people say it's garbage, but not to them. They believe communities deserve better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. You can check out how they can help. Request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget, if you've got something to get off your chest, send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Trash Talk every Friday presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. And if you're looking to transform your outdoor space next spring, you already have the big plans. What kind of a cool Christmas gift would it be uh, to put an Eden landscaping letter under the tree? Hey, what a stocking stuffer to hire a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You want to know what they can do for you? Check out their services at landscapeedmonton.ca. Edible garden boxes, excavation, hardscaping like stone and tile work, retaining walls, water features, you name it. 
outdoor kitchens. How's that for a Christmas gift? You can find Mike and his team online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, we're always looking for angles here on the show to help us better understand national news stories, to gain informed insight on issues that impact the lives of everyday Canadians. Now, whether or not you own a firearm, you probably know that the federal government is looking to change Canada's gun laws. Bill C-21 is described as the gun control bill. And we've been taking this from a number of different angles over the past couple of weeks on the show. This interview is one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, Dr. Susan Natris is a seven-time world trap shooting champion. She's a six-time Olympian. She has been Canadian champion more than 40 times. She also happens to be a medical researcher in osteoporosis. She's an officer of the Order of Canada. She was Canada's Athlete of the Year in 1981, as well as Canada's Female Athlete of the Year in 1977 and 1981. She has represented Canada internationally for more than 50 years. What a huge honor to welcome Dr. Susan Natris to Real Talk. Thank you for making time for us, doctor. And it's wonderful to see your face. Oh, thanks, Ryan. My pleasure, I hope. <laughs> oh, well, I will tell you what. I was I was watching uh, some past interviews you did. I saw I saw an interview that you did um, ahead of the, the Montreal Olympic Games. You've, of course, competed in the Pan Am Games. Your passion for the sport is very evident, and you've been a huge ambassador for the sport as well. What got you into trap shooting? This is basically clay pigeons and shotguns, right? That's it. Um, I grew up with it. My father took up trap shooting when I was five years old. And so our family vacation was going to trap shoots. Um, some people get to go to the lake. We went to trap shoots. And uh, so I just grew up with it. My older brother competed. Uh, when I was 12, I convinced my father that my, I should compete. And my younger brother wanted to compete. So that's uh, what we did. Your your dad uh, competed for Canada uh, World Championships a number of different times, right? So I mean, this was like yeah. this was some high level <clears throat> coaching that you were getting. Yeah, and he was in the '64 Olympics. So um, my father loved the sport, and I mean, he still went out competing until you know, like he passed when he was just about 87, and he was still competing when he was 86. You know, and and. Uh, Still telling me how what's his scores and how he was doing and oh yeah and he was an excellent coach i wanted to play this this is courtesy of the cbc i don't know if you'll remember this this was an interview uh -oh. that you know this is great this is great this is uh this is ahead of the olympic games in 1976 and and this yeah. is you talking about your sport and, and what you love about yeah. it and there's a there's a gender-based comment in here as well which brought a smile to my face here you are i was raised with trap shooting my father my brother shot and I just always wanted to try it, and I just got involved with it. I don't think women have to prove anything in shooting. We're accepted. Um, we're being given an opportunity to compete. Uh, we're taking it. And uh, as long as we do our best and don't cop out with little excuses for why we don't do well. I love that. Don't cop out with little excuses. <laughs> Did you have significant gender barriers to overcome in this sport? Well, it's interesting. I did and I didn't. For the most part, um, this is one of the advantages of being a Canadian, is that um, women were always competing. I mean, I grew up in, in Calgary and then in Edmonton, and I played junior high sport, I played high school sport, I played university sport, 
And so, you know, the opportunity was there. Where the problem came, let's say, internationally, would be um, that, what was it? Women, we had women's world championships starting in 1962. So there really wasn't a problem to compete in the world championships. In the Olympics, um, in 1968, no, yeah, 68, Nuria Ortez was the first woman in skeet to compete in an Olympics because at the time it was mainly men only, but it was open, but only men were competing. Then in 76, I was the only woman in the Olympics with 51 guys. So that part, it was just tough to make your national team. So I fought for five years in the 90s um, they, to, to get a separate event for women in, in trap and skeet. Have you seen, what have you seen over the years? I mean, we mentioned in your introduction, you've competed for Canada internationally, I think 53 years, over a half yeah. century, which is remarkable. You are truly, I mean, to win uh, Canada's Athlete of the Year, uh, to be clear, I mean, you look at you, you look at the names on that list through history. I mean, you are, uh, this is the cream of the crop, doctor. Um, and I mean, it really is. Canada's Athlete of the Year. Uh, is, as you take a look at, at the sport present day, um, in particular, the involvement of women but generally speaking the popularity of the sport what do you see and what do you read into it well what's exciting you know it took me like this five years women were always accepted and were competing and then they made some rule changes in 92 that said women couldn't compete at all in the olympics in trap and skeet and that's when i started my five-year battle but what's been so wonderful for me is once is to see what happened i mean after quote, I won the battle, according to the Secretary General of the ISSF, the International Shooting Sport Federation, um, is so neat. Women are full-time competitors. That's their job. I went to Qatar in 2007, and, and they had a, a national team. And all these women, their job was to compete hmm. in trap shooting, which I thought was amazing since I never had that. And then women... So women compete full-time. It's their occupation. They get full-time coaches. They get financial opportunities, you know, the opportunities. They can go to competitions and they're not stuck at home. Um, so they get medical services. They get everything that the guys get and um, they get um, prizes. And it's, so it's really exciting to see that this whole area has, has opened up. I'm trying to think of, um, I, I just want you to know that I was doing as fulsome of a preparation as possible to talk to you. It's like, because I might kind of weird you out a little bit, how many videos and interviews of you that I've already watched. But there was, a, there was another one. I oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I should have made, made a note of it. I think it was maybe after LA in 84, something like that. But you, anyway, they, the cameras got you at, at, uh, at the airport um, and you're grabbing your bags. You're just kind of like the, the, you know, Jane Q public there. You're just the average citizen. You're getting your bags off the luggage thing and, and and off comes the big shotgun in the case by the way which i thought was kind of funny uh you know you just check your shotgun no big deal um but they but they asked you about uh, the point i wanted to make was they asked you about funding for athletes and you've long been an advocate you you, you made a comment uh, there about how you believed that you know you didn't necessarily you, you pointed out that there weren't any canadian athletes getting rich at that point but you thought that it was important that there be equal funding uh, regardless of what sport it was or regardless of who the athlete was that's something you've been talking about for a long time 
Yeah, and unfortunately, it's not happening. You know, in in Canada, funding. Well, I know all the shotgun shooters and all they all the um, the shooters. I mean, we pay everything. You know, um, we pay our own way to to competitions. Uh, we pay our own ammunition. We pay our entry fees. We pay everything, um, and that's been going on for quite a while now. Uh, and that's that's a shame because it certainly limits the possibilities. You know, we have some good young shooters that um, couldn't can't afford that, and and that's that's tough. And then when you compare us to other sports, then that's you know it's outrageous. We're just so out of it. I think just because it's, I mean, to state the obvious, it's just not a sport that's like on a lot of people's radar, right? <laughs> you mean it's not like hockey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll tell you, like, it's fascinating to watch. And the skill, oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 they talk about, you know, baseball players. They, they, everybody tries to talk about, like, what's the greatest feat uh, that's required in, in professional amateur sport. Like, what's the hardest thing to do in sport? And a lot of people have said maybe trying to hit a fastball in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I watched a lot of it. I mean, how fun was it, by the way, for you to host Rick Mercer a few years ago? That was like, oh my God, wildly entertaining. So fun. But you, and you know what? He actually did hit the first two targets. Come on. I thought that was yeah, people. People thought it was set up, but it wasn't really he actually hit the first two targets. I was so excited. Well, maybe the sport's he, easier than we thought. No, I'm just joking. I'm just no. joking. <laughs> but, I, but I was going to say of all the things, I think that what you do might be. I mean, people look at people can. I guarantee people are going to be Googling and YouTubing you after they hear this interview. I mean, the, the, the speed at which you what do you you call for it? Can you use? I don't know the right terminology. Okay. So in trap, um, in international trap, we have 15 machines underground in front of you. You know, we're 16 meters back. And when I'm on post one, it it comes out of machines one, two, or three. When I'm on post two, it comes out of four, five, six. And all of them are set differently. And so it goes about 65 miles an hour away from you, various heights, various angles. And uh, so you, you, you're standing there, you have your shotgun up and you call and then you pray. No, you call, yeah. <laughs> then you then you see it and then you move. So what like average, you know, the average uh, sort of incident or the average uh, situation uh, from the time that you call, like you say, pull, right? Is that what you say? You say, yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay, but you pull, could, yeah, so you could be like, or like whatever you say. So you yeah. say you say pull. How long from the from the time on average that you would say pull to when you pull the trigger? Like it's like less well, than a second. Um, my father, when I first started, would time me, and if I called and hit it at point five or point six of a second, I would hit it. If I was at point eight or point nine, I'd miss it. Wow. And so you talk about, I mean, the, the the weight training that you would do, and the and the coordination, and the the muscle memory. I mean, in one of the interviews I saw you talking about, even when it was too cold to to train outside and to shoot, you would just work on raising your shotgun. You would just work on raising it up. I mean, it's fascinating training. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, one of the things that's stressed a lot in when you're teaching someone or when you're in in the sport is doing what dry firing. You know, you bring the gun up, move it bring it down, bring the gun up, you know, and, and they always recommend it at least 25 times a day. Wow. 
I never did that, but it's a really good idea. Well, whatever you did was working. Uh, we've got some speculation on our live chat right now. The audience members watching live are, are assuming or guessing that there probably weren't very many gophers on the Natris family property when you were growing yeah. up. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. 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 You know, my father loved to hunt. That was his passion. And it did not go down to his children. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I... Um, I remember when I was about eight, my father took my mother and my brothers and I hunting and my father, and my brother hunted, you know, shot. And my younger brother and I were supposed to be the um, retrievers because we didn't have a dog. And so I remember going out with holding hands with my younger brother, going out in the field. We came to this duck. We both started crying. My mother and father came running, and that's the last time my younger brother ever went hunting, and I didn't go hunting until I was in my 30s when some friends talked me into it. Okay. Well, well, hey, this this kind of sets the table then uh, <laughs> for us to talk about C twenty one and and I was uh, I was joking with the audience earlier in this show when I was mentioning your appearance and I said I, I had reached out to you in an email uh, appreciate you getting right back to us and and I said I wanted to talk to you about Bill C twenty one and gun laws and legislation and trends in in recreational <laughs> competitive shooting and and the gun culture in Canada and you replied you said I didn't know there was a gun culture. <laughs> in Canada. Uh, you've, I know. you've lived in Canada and the U.S., correct? Yes. Uh, you've practiced yes. your, you know, your, your, your medical research in the, in the beautiful state of Washington. Um, can, can you talk to us about the differences that you've seen with, with so-called gun culture or what you understand it to be? Well, it's so different. You know, um, how do I say that? I mean, I, I, I read after you contacted me, I went through the 307 pages. What? Of the the C C twenty one, just to see what guns were being banned, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, going back to the difference in the culture, um, I don't know. I think in Canada, it's just so okay if someone's a hunter or if they're a competitor. Um, I've we we do it. I mean, um, we abide. I think most people or the majority of people all abide by the rules where you keep your gun locked up in one, one locker someplace and then your ammunition locked up someplace separate. And then when I go to the gun club, I put it all together. I go put it in my car, in the trunk of my car, mm. and I go to the, the gun club. And, and, I, I, I'm, and this is, I know I'm sounding sort of strange, but it just is not a big deal. In the States, and maybe it's because there's so many people um, it is a big deal. I mean, they're fighting that, oh, no, I want my gun to be out out in the open and I want this and I want that. And I'm not I'm not expressing myself very well. Sorry. No, I think you are. I mean, I, I think like, you know, I mean, there's there's. Um... You know, you could you could be like the, the most hardcore hunter, the biggest shooting enthusiast and, and still not. You know, I feel inclined to fight for your right to sling an AR-15 over your shoulder while you go to Dairy Queen. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, like I've, you know, but I've got friends. I mean, Susan, like a very good friend of mine, like a very good friend of mine um, is, uh, you know, he, he he's a voting Democrat for what it's worth. He's also a member of the NRA. And yeah. when we're out in Seattle, he he legally carries a pistol. Uh, he carries a handgun on his ankle. Like, like, and he's a very good friend of mine. We, we could, we are worlds apart on how we view guns. I'm not anti-gun. 
Um, I don't know a lot about guns. I'm, to be honest with you, you've probably heard this a million times. I'm a little bit intimidated around guns. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, you see, that's one thing. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. Yeah, no, please that's do. That's a really good point. I think, and I'm going to probably, it's going to be sound very controversial, but I think everyone should learn how to shoot a gun. Mm. Um, I prefer shotguns. I've tried a pistol and scared the heck out of me. Um, you know, I, I was raised with rifles and pit, shotguns, but mainly shotguns. But I think everyone should learn how to do it, whether they ever do it again or not, doesn't matter. But I think if you learn how to handle a gun, like our our encounter, we have our courses, our, our firearm safety courses. Yeah. I think if everyone took it, it would take, I think it would educate people and it would um, take some of the, the the fear out. Instead, it would be a healthy respect. And that's how I was raised and my brothers were raised. We were raised with a healthy respect for firearms and how to be safe. And I think that's what we see at gun clubs in across Canada and in the United States. But there's that healthy respect. And there's and and I think if people learned and and did the courses and had that healthy respect, I think it would make it a lot easier. I mean, it would make it a lot safer. Now, in addition to being having been named Canada's athlete of the year, um, in addition to being an officer of the Order of Canada, a six-time Olympian, a seven-time world champion, what am I missing? Uh, um, there's something else that sets you apart uh, from the majority of people. Uh, that will comment or give their opinion on Bill C-21. And that is that, Susan, you actually read it. Um, and so when you de- when you describe it as ridiculous, uh, I, I wanted to, and, and let me, here's a little peek behind the curtain. Here's a little bit of my playbook. I wanted to establish to people that you are a reputable, empathetic, reasonable person. Um, let's get your analysis. What did you see in those 300 plus pages that sort of raised your eyebrows and not in a good way? Well, what... I think is that they're trying to ban all these guns. And on 307 pages, I wrote down, I think, 10 that I actually recognized. Now I have a limited knowledge. I know shotguns. I don't anything about rifles, don't know anything about pistols. Um, but I just thought and that they're trying to ban all these guns. Now, I would like to see all the effort being put on what are we doing about people who use firearms for for a crime? See, I think that's where all the effort should be. I think if someone uses a firearm in a crime, the book, the book should be thrown at them. I think we should be looking at gun violence. But what they're doing is they're going after the average Canadian who likes to go out hunting or our indigenous member Canadians who want to use go hunting or they use it in their life on a daily basis. And I don't think it's answering the question. You know, it's not a solution to the problem. I think concentrating more, as I said, on on um, doing something about when someone uses a firearm in a, in a murder or in a robbery 
or something like that. If you use a firearm and anything illegal, then the book should be thrown at you. Mm. Did you see when you were reading through the, you know, the lists, um, were there firearms that jumped out at you because there are firearms that you own or that you use or that your dad or no. brothers would have used or <laughs> what jumped out of me and some of them I can understand. I mean, I don't think we need a missile launcher. <laughs> sure. I would be inclined <laughs> to agree. I personally don't need a missile launcher. Um, <laughs> You know, and the AR and AK and all those, you know, I don't think you need that to go hunting. Um, I think for the gun collectors, I saw some that, you know, were collector's items mm -hmm. that they might have locked up and, and, and on display. I mean, it's, um, I don't see why we have to ban the collector items. Um, I saw, I have my little list here, the Benelli Ultralight. I don't have it, but I know some people who use a Benelli to shoot to for trap shooting. Um, so some of the other ones I looked up, I mean, I none of my guns are on that. None of the guns that I know other trap shooters use for trap shooting would be on it. But, you know, there are a lot of guns that people use for hunting. As I said, I'm not a hunter, so I, I, yeah. I just don't. Yeah. No, and I've heard some, like, I, I really want to, I mean, we tried it with every issue that we tackle here on the show to approach it with, like, an open mind and with reason and with, mm -hmm. with you know, that sort of idea, like, you know, that Stephen Covey idea of seeking to understand. And, yeah. and I've even heard, and I'm not a hunter. Um, I married into a hunting family. Um, I mm -hmm. have a huge amount of respect for people who hunt a ton of oh, respect, so like tons My of respect. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, people that fill their freezer and feed their families and the work that goes into it and the tradition and all of that. I'm not cracking on hunting at all. Um, and I've seen some good points. Like some people will say, well, like, why do you need this like rapid fire, big magazine, you know, weapon to, to hunt? And then, you know, or like what's reasonable or necessary for hunting. And then I've, I've also seen people argue the point that that words like necessary or reasonable are inherently subjective. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I just don't know that in a conversation like this and what, 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 what I really appreciate about a conversation like this with you, Susan, um, is, is that oftentimes these issues become so polarized that people kind of have their minds made up heading into the debate um, based on who they vote for or based on who their favorite or least favorite politician is. And there's not a lot yeah. of people... I think just like hashing out ideas and, and, and trying to sort of dig down to the bottom of, of what really matters with a specific issue. Yeah. I, I think it's a shame when it's just voting for a politician. Yeah. You know, I, cause I think um, as much as the politicians, as far as I know, do their research, they, they can't research everything, you know, and, and this, this is a big deal. I mean, the problem that I think a lot of us who are competitors are worried about is they're starting with these guns. Are they going to get, you know, the pistols and already, you know, our pistol shooters that compete um, are at a disadvantage and, and there's restrictions with them. And that's going to happen with the rifle shooters and happens with the shotgun shooters. And I mean, we have viable international sports. I mean, shooting has been in the Olympics since 1896, the first Olympics. Wow. There's not a lot of, I mean, if you actually look at the sports, I, I, I can't say off the top of my head, maybe you can. Um, I wonder how many of the original sports would still be around. And the Olympics is constantly evolving, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, 
you know, 30 years ago, I could have told you because yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Although you competed at the Pan Am now. Games recently. Like you're not, you're not retired. Like, no, I, I, um, I, last year I went and I competed in a Grand Prix in France. Yeah. A Grand Prix in um, Spain and then a big green cup competition in Italy. Do you still have so, it? Oh yeah, I, I <laughs> it gets lost. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of it uh, it comes and goes. I mean, I'm just not as consistent, and uh. and that drives me crazy because when I was doing so well and I was winning all the time, I was extremely consistent. Um, but now maybe I'm just consistently average. Yeah, that, well, that's probably really it's probably why like you know player hockey players loved playing against Wayne Gretzky. You know, in the in the in the last couple of years of his career, because he was still Wayne Gretzky, uh, yeah. But but maybe he'd lost like half a step, and so they could sort of like maybe maybe the, maybe the rest of the trap shooting community is is thrilled that they they maybe have you in their sights now to go win a <laughs> yeah. gold at your expense. What do you think about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, doctor. Well, you know, it's it's fun going international because um, I do have a good <laughs> reputation, and um, it it's fun to see these young pups coming up and shooting well and you know the the carol cormier from france just won the world championships and then got the silver medal in the big president's cup but anyway i remember her first year and watching her as a young woman starting to compete and now she's in her 30s and she won the world championship so it's very exciting for me to see see the development how these young pups have developed Amazing. You, you talk about how you have a good reputation. That's maybe the biggest understatement we've heard on the show today, uh, <laughs> maybe this year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, let me ask you this in closing. This is an interesting story. I don't know if you'll have an insight into this or not. Um, this was reported by the Wall Street Journal just yeah. a short time ago as, as gun sales have reached a high uh, over the past two and a half years or so through the course of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Groups have been forming to teach women how to handle their new firearms because a new study shows that women are nearly half of new gun buyers in the U.S. Yeah. But what does that say to you? Well, I think it says a couple of things. And um, I think, well, it says more than a couple. I think um, one of it is gun clubs. I know at the Vancouver Gun Club, which I'm a member, and the Toronto International Trap and Skeet Club, which I'm a member, um, we're putting together programs for women to show women how to shoot properly. And I think it's because the sport is becoming more accepting and more open for women. So that's one thing. The other thing I think that's happening in the States is women are discovering the sport of shooting. I mean, it's always in the States, shooting has sort of been more of a domain of the men, where in Canada, it was more open to women. Um, again, I'm not explaining it well, but I just think women are discovering that, oh, there's this other activity and maybe I should try it. And then the third thing that I think is happening in the States is women want to protect themselves. Yeah. And I think probably of the three, this is more the, the answer. But I think some of them start out with, okay, I'm going to learn how to shoot this gun for protection. And then they learn about the sports. And they go, oh, wow. You know, and, and I see it at the... Renton Club here 
and I see it in Vancouver, you know, where they go, well, I started this, but gee, this is fun. Hmm. And then they come out and they come out with their, a lot of them come out with a husband or a boyfriend or something like that. And at least into shotgun. And then once they take it, try it, they go, hey, this is great. And they keep going. And it doesn't matter who's around. They just come out because they're they're welcome. Hmm. Well, alongside Nancy Green and Bianca Andrescu <laughs> and, and, and other all-time Canadian greats, uh, Dr. Susan Natras, uh, recipient of Canada's Athlete of the Year in 1981, an absolute legend, as mentioned, seven-time women's world champion, six-time Olympian. And now you can add to your roster uh, right at the top a guest on Real Talk, Dr. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you for your time and your expertise. Thank you. Can I just say thank you for taking the time to read 300 pages of a proposed legislation because you wanted to bring to the table informed insight. If every guest of every talk show would do that, think of what a better state this planet would be in. Well, I have to thank my friend Janice Lawrence in Toronto because I asked her about you, you know, if she knew about your program. Yeah. And she sent me everything. Oh, good. <laughs> she just said, you know, read up. That's great. Well, we sure appreciate it, uh, Susan. It's been a real, we expected it would be uh, a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks oh, for doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Ryan. Thank you very much for yeah, asking me. You bet. That's uh, Dr. Susan Natras, one of Canada's literally uh, all-time greatest Olympians. How it's cool is that, right? just incredible. And I think... Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were just talking about plastic straws and how like complicated that situation is. I think the the gun law, the gun bit. I don't think there's any right answer. No. I mean, I'm looking up stats while you're talking to her, and it's like, what'd you find? Well, the most recent studies they show what you think. You know, fewer guns in countries means fewer deaths. But then you've got countries like Switzerland where sixty over sixty percent of households have guns. There's yeah. about thirty guns for every hundred people, and they have fewer deaths too. So they've got not a lot of guns, but more guns than most countries. Okay. And it's because they have a unique uh, military system where males, when they reach age of majority, they take some training for military, which involves, you know, gun education and training. And so they have more respect, like she was saying, for guns. So I thought that was really just, interesting just, that she brought up, yeah, um, like high school or I don't know if she used the word mandatory, but bringing up the idea people should of, learn the firearms training. There was a, I wish I could remember the real talker that deserves credit, but but an audience member said that last week mm-hmm. and suggested that as well. Yeah, um, you know, and, along along the lines of like a career and life management, that calm class or whatever mm-hmm. firearms training. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there would be some pushback from people that would, 100%. That, that, you know, just wouldn't be comfortable with that, and maybe it would be something you could you could opt out of um you know i you know you talk about this and i appreciate this comment from charlotte in our live chat she says finally an interview where we're talking about this firearm bill c21 in a reasonable manner uh, she said i sure appreciate that more people need to hear reasonable discussion from dr susan natris well the good news is is you can hit like uh, uh, if you're listening to this uh, or watching this on youtube of course you can share our content with somebody yeah. that you think might benefit from this You'll hear hunters, you know, for example, and and again, we, we intentionally wanted to feature an interview that that did not just go hunter versus downtown Toronto apartment dweller. Like, I don't think that those are productive conversations. I also think that when you describe a hunter, I mean, there's people from friends of mine that hunt. Some some mm-hmm. of them are, are are white collar downtown office tower folks, and some of them live off the grid. Uh, it's just a fact. It's a it's a diverse community of people, men and women. Um, but, but, you know, someone will say like hunters are not the problem. Hunters are not the ones that are, you know, u- utilizing firearms in the commission of a crime. And then the counterpoint to that, someone said, well, yeah, hunters aren't the problem. 
until a whole bunch of them show up at Coots and block the border <laughs> with a plan to shoot RCMP officers. Yeah, it's and just, that's not a slight at hunters. I mean, no. that's the Venn diagram overlapping. But hunters are just people, like people, regular people. People have episodes that work harder than the rest of us. Hunters with rifles might have bad days and do horrible things. Does that mean they're all horrible people? No. But the other thing she said that just hit me was when she said that she believes everyone should learn how to use a safety on a gun, fire a weapon. And when you were talking like, "I'm I'm not a big gun guy, I'm the same way. I don't think I can remember ever holding a gun. Maybe when I was younger, yeah. my grandfather has some land, and I remember he used to shoot, uh, he used to hunt. Maybe I held one when I was younger, but that's something I've always wanted to do, and especially the way the world is today. I think everyone should know, yeah. just if you're in a situation where you have to pick up a gun, put the safety on, maybe, you, you know. Or just, or whatever. I think everyone, yeah. when she said that, I was like, that's something I still have to do. I we think, went to a I range I think everyone once. should learn how to handle a weapon. Yeah, we went to a range, obviously under supervision, had coaching in the whole nine yards, and uh, uh, fired a shotgun, uh, exhilarating. Fired a Glock, like a handgun, like one of those sort of police issue handguns. Wild. I mean, holding is it is something, man. Like, it's, it's almost like I would compare it to... You know, I, I remember when I was first learning to ride a motorcycle and 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 saddling up on a on a Yamaha FJ eleven hundred, and uh, and I and I rode it for a little bit and then just figured that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need the, I don't need <laughs> it's. I respect the power. I respect the the machinery. I respect everything that comes with it and the huge amount of responsibility. But that's just something I didn't personally need in my mm-hmm. life. That was my personal choice. So, real talkers, here's the deal. Uh, you know, we endeavor to to provide uh, interviews and opportunities for you to deepen your understanding. Uh, and issues that, that impact you either directly or indirectly. And then we ask you uh, to reciprocate that and to send us your thoughts and let us know how you feel about what you're hearing. T- to potentially suggest a guest that you'd like to hear on the show, talk at ryanjesperson.com uh, is where you can do that. Jason, with an interesting point in our chat, says, In my humble opinion, he says, I think that, uh, um, he says, I think that, like, sort of the, the um, oh, you know what happened is the chat just refreshed on me, Johnny, and I lost the comment. But he basically said, he said, like, this sort of like rapid fire type firearms mm-hmm. place less of an onus on the, here it is, Jason. Uh, in my humble opinion, the larger capacity rifles, the AR, the AK style, make the shooter less likely to take responsibility for every bullet fired. Um, uh, M. Aitken on our live chat says, shooting on horseback, that sport is threatened. Uh, says it's a competitive sport using pistols, which is interesting. I saw some of you talking about when, when Dr. Natris brought up collectors, gun collectors. Uh, Tim says, they collect all sorts of cool guns. Most of them are no good for hunting, but they're cool as heck. Um, and others you know, suggest that maybe if, if some guns were to be collected, that, that maybe something could happen. I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe remove <laughs> the firing pin or do something to render them yeah. unusable. Uh, I don't know. I mean... To state the obvious, These something's going to happen. These are all gonna, nuances. I don't what's think gonna happen matter, here? Yeah. No, but what's going to happen here is that if certain guns are outlawed and they're collectibles or they're meaningful to people or, or what have you, um, and I understand that you can poke holes like Swiss cheese into this argument, but it, it is, I think, a talking point, is that you would have otherwise law-abiding citizens mm-hmm. who will break the law to keep those firearms. 100%. And you, yeah. and you look at things like the federal long gun registry. I mean, what's one of, I mean, aside from the boondoggle and the, and the money and like everything, I mean, there were a lot of problems with it. Just ask the conservatives. Uh, but if you want to look at one of the reasons why I think that the, the public didn't necessarily buy into that is is the acknowledgement that, the people that will register their firearms are the law-abiding citizens. Mm-hmm. 
And the people that will not register their firearms are, are, you know, again, we're painting with broad brushes here and making assumptions and you got to be careful. But for the most part, the people that may approach the law as more of a gray area or something they don't give a rip about Mm -hmm. in other aspects like committing crimes. Yeah. The bans are so complicated. Uh, The one thing, though, like we just have to listen to people like even in Switzerland, like I was just talking about, I just looked it up as early as 2019. They just made stricter gun laws even there. Yeah. where the deaths are low because about 70% of the population polled said they wanted it. So, I mean, it's complicated everywhere, and I think we should listen to people, but, like, the ban is just, it's so complicated. And some parts yeah. of it, like she said she was reading through and naming some of the guns and things like that. Some of them don't make sense to me either. Like, I was reading some of them are, that are getting banned, but, I mean, what are you going to do? But Canada, again, they're gun deaths not that off from switzerland in terms of population we don't have a lot of gun deaths going on here compared to well all these other countries the states etc if you didn't check out our real talk roundtable presented by urban timber on friday uh, just a few days ago I encourage you to check it out Harmon kendall Jarrett campbell jenny adams Harmon tells a great story uh, about uh, unknowingly uh, essentially crown land. shooting illegally <laughs> on crown land, which is a pretty funny story. And uh, and then Jared gets into it. And Jared's a, a very reasonable guy. And I he's a gun owner, longtime gun owner, longtime hunter. And uh, and I really appreciated his perspective. You can hear him make the argument on why he believes. Uh, and this guy's not a not a political sycophant. He's not he's not some sort of a guy that came in wearing a, the colors of a certain political party uh, across his chest. He's not that type of a guy at all. Um, but he describes C-21 and the political posturing around it as cynical politics. If you want to hear him make his argument, uh, you can check that out uh, on our podcast archive. Or, of course, you can always find us on YouTube as well. Thanks to everybody who subscribes to the Real Talk Ryan Jesperson YouTube channel. Hey, we're calling all dog lovers. And for that matter, cat lovers, too. There's some for you to check out right now at granddog.ca. That's Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. You know, their chicken sale we were telling you about was such a huge success through November. So they're keeping the party going. Their newest blend, that's the Doggy Moggy Beef Chicken, is on sale 20% off the entire month of December. No discount code required. Uh, you can also check out their Four Leaf Rover gift bundles available in the shop. You can save 10% off these carefully curated bundles. They're wrapped and ready to share with friends and family. Both our pups, Moses and Monroe, are on the Four Leaf Rover supplements. Moses, for his joint health, he's dealing with some tight joint pain as he ages, and we're seeing returns on that investment for his health with the Four Leaf Rover supplements. Uh, You can also find the bundles for senior support, like we talked about, the Kibble Bowl Boost. If you're still feeding your dog a mix of raw and kibble, immunity support, allergy support, joint care, healthy skin, or, of course, the basics if your pup's in their prime but you just want them to live their best life you can also find raw cat food under the shop now link at granddog.ca the promo code real talk will knock 10 percent off your first time order excluding sale items delivered to your door in calgary edmonton and of course central alberta and if you're looking at upgrading your ride this winter season you're sick of sliding around those corners you're sick of feeling unsafe why not trust the 4x4 brand that's been trusted by more people in North America than any other brand in history. Of course, I'm talking about Jeep, the Grand Cherokee, North America's best-selling all-time SUV. And then there's that Wagoneer. If that third row of seating is big for your family, you're doing some hauling, you need something to fit the dogs or the snowboards or the golf clubs in the back, you can shop online or in person at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. 
You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website at ryanjesperson.com. Well, I love this. Every Monday, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. They allow us an opportunity to focus on the positives, the things that are filling our buckets, the random acts of kindness, the folks that are paying it forward. It's a tradition we call Positive Reflections. And this week, the feature is an email from Brian and Lori. They said we wanted to take a a time to share a special moment. I know our fellow Real Talkers will appreciate. Uh, Brian says, 10 years ago, Lori threw out a friendly challenge. She was at the time working at a local credit union to our office. Uh, Brian was at Fortis, Alberta. He says the challenge was to see which office could put together the most Christmas food hampers to help support their local food bank in Wainwright, Alberta. Shout out Wainwright. He said, so that was the year 2013 and the seed was planted. Now, because we were a rural office, not even close to where the major company Christmas parties were happening, we were uh, to provide a a sum of money. We were given a sum of money to have our own local party, but we as a group decided we would forego the Christmas party, John, and use the money we received to create food hampers, to build hampers for our local food bank. And that year, we were able to supply 24 Christmas food hampers uh, that supplied most of what a family of four would need for a proper holiday meal. And there was no turning back after that. Uh, Brian says the next year, we set the bar a little higher. At the end of the day, we supplied 50 hampers plus a cash donation to supply other perishable items to really complete those meals. Uh, Brian says, well, it's now 10 years since that challenge was first placed year three the bar raised even higher from 50 to 60 any money we had left over after that we just started donating it to local food banks he says i can't stress enough this has truly become a community event so many local businesses that have supported this year after year and to date because of that simple friendly challenge we've supplied our local food bank with 554 food hampers and more than twenty thousand dollars cash He says, it must be said that Fortis Alberta and many others supported the event all the years, and it's become a family event. We've watched the little one become a part of this. They may not totally understand, but they're learning what community means, what charity means. Brian says, we know that times are difficult, and everybody's trying to work their way through it. But that said, I'd like to challenge my fellow real talkers. If you can give something up, if you're not sure what that might be for us, it was our Christmas party 10 years ago. It doesn't have to be that much. Take those funds and help somebody in need. I guarantee the feeling that you have will far outweigh the taste of the food or the coffee or the new pair of running shoes. We are our brother and sister's keepers. Brian says, Lori and I would like to wish you, Ryan, John, and all of our fellow Real Talkers a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year. From Brian and Lori, peace and love. We'll right back at you. And thank you so much for such a wonderful reminder. Shout out to everybody who does the little things in their own communities to ensure that the holidays are happy and healthy for folks in some circumstances they don't even know. You can send us your positive reflection to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's proudly presented by Kubi Renewable Energy. You can find them online at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we've got three mayors from Alberta municipalities right here in the house. They're going to join us around the Real Talk Roundtable. We're going to talk about policing and public safety and all of the other things that happen at that first level, that level of municipal government. 
This is what matters to people. These are the politicians you see at the gas pumps and the grocery stores. And mark your calendar for the Wednesday edition of Real Talk, where Omar Mualim will talk to us about an explosive story he's been covering about serial abuse at a Calgary Junior High School. Because of that story, the province has revoked the Alberta Teachers Association's right to disciplinary action. Omar will bring us all the details. Plus, more coming up on Real Talk over the next four episodes this week. Thanks for giving us your time. It's the greatest gift you can give. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks, general manager Katie Cook Chivers, account coordinator Lawrence Durlego, human resources Lena Shepard, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.